You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Well, it's a really, really big weekend in sports. The first full weekend of 2024. Happy to be along with you this afternoon for the next three hours as we get set for the 18th and final week of the NFL regular season, which kicks off about four and a half hours from now. In Baltimore, between the Steelers and the Ravens, a doubleheader tonight, Houston and Indianapolis in a huge game. Both of those games you can catch on ESPN. A full slate tomorrow culminating with an AFC East matchup for the division, not the one that a lot of Jets fans hoped for or wished for at the beginning of the season. In fact, quite the opposite, as it will be the Dolphins and the Bills, the winner clinching the division, the loser, if it's Buffalo, possibly being out and that's kind of the theme of this NFL weekend all of these playoff scenarios we'll go through a bunch of them because each game almost every single game is interesting for for one reason or another and as you look at the all 32 teams in action this week and as you look at the full slate of games all right um there are probably four or five that have either very little or no playoff implications at all And after a somewhat surprising, I shouldn't even say somewhat, after a delightfully surprising season last year of New York football, in which the Jets unexpectedly, as disappointing as the season ended last year, in the middle of December, the Jets were alive and kicking for a spot in the playoffs. The Giants unexpectedly went to the playoffs, won a road playoff game, far exceeded any reasonable expectations for last year. That's what we had last season. And then a year later, we are back to the point of New York football where in those handful of games where there are little to no playoff implications at all, one of them involves the Jets and another involves the Giants. Now, the Giants, there could be some implications depending on the Cowboys-Commanders game. If Dallas somehow struggles in that game or loses to Washington, then all of a sudden the Giants and the Eagles becomes important. But as far as we're concerned here in New York as fans of one of the two local teams, of course, it would only be important for the visiting team, the Philadelphia Eagles, because if the Cowboys slip up against Washington, that would open the door for Philadelphia to win the NFC East. So that's what we have to look forward to this weekend. And again, it starts in a few hours. If Pittsburgh wins today, they stay alive and they would need to get some help tomorrow. They would need to get some help from... um, either Tennessee beating Jacksonville, or they would need to get some help from uh, Miami beating Buffalo tomorrow night. Again, all those scenarios, we'll go through a bunch of them. I do want to start with the basketball scene, though. And last night in Philadelphia, and what a eye-opening statement-type win for the New York Knicks against the 76ers. A just thorough beating, especially in the second half, As they go on to win this game by 36 points, the Knicks led in this game in the fourth quarter by as many as 39. So your initial knee-jerk reaction when you see the score of that game, maybe you weren't locked into the TV broadcast or the radio broadcast here on ESPN New York. Maybe your initial knee-jerk reaction is, oh, wow, Philly mustn't have had Embiid last night. Guy misses games all the time. He probably didn't play. Or maybe for some reason Tyrese Maxey, their ascending soon-to-be all-star guard, didn't play. No, they both played. They both played... Uh, 36 minutes for Embiid, 37 minutes for Tyrese Maxey. Philadelphia came out hot. They led by 10 with about four minutes to go in the first quarter. 
and it looked like in the Knicks' first true tough road test, these new-look Knicks, this was just game number three since OG Ananobi joined the team and moved right into the starting lineup. It looked like in the first quarter that the Knicks, A, weren't going to have enough to stop the Philadelphia offensive attack, and B, were not going to have enough offensive firepower themselves. And then all of a sudden, the game completely turns on a dime. And of all people, it was Deuce McBride, the newly appointed backup point guard in the wake of Emmanuel Quickly being traded to Toronto. McBride, uh, less than a week removed from signing his first contract extension as an NBA player, kind of solidifying his spot on the team, solidifying his spot in the league, goes on a heater at the end of the first quarter, goes four for four from downtown, and all of a sudden the Knicks, after trailing by 10 late in the first quarter, take a lead into the second, and they stopped missing three-pointers, basically, from that point on. By halftime, they were up by 20. Philadelphia did make the obligatory run in the third quarter. They got it as close as 12, and there were some anxious moments there that perhaps things were slipping away from the Knicks. Before the end of the third quarter, the lead was back up to 17, and in the fourth, Quentin Grimes scored 19 points in the final period, knocking down four three-pointers of his own, and next thing you know, with about four minutes to go, Nick Nurse, the Philadelphia coach, is pulling his starters from the game, emptying the bench. Tom Thibodeau doing the same. And the Knicks on the road against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, which is led by the reigning MVP and the front runner right now for this year's Most Valuable Player Award, just absolutely dominate the 76ers pretty close to start to finish in last night's game. So, Look, there's been some impressive performances and some impressive wins for the Knicks this season. I put this at the top of the list. And, you know, at 20-15 and 15 now, and they play tonight. They're in Washington tonight on the second night of a back-to-back. We'll have it here, of course, pregame coverage beginning at 6.30. I'll have that for you. Um, Washington is one of the worst teams in the NBA, so you expect another strong Knicks performance. You expect a win tonight. And if they do win tonight, they get to 21-15. and 15. They have not yet been six games above 500 this season. Five games above the 500 mark is their high-water mark so far. And this is a team that you are starting to sense that there could be a different level for them to get to, a higher level for them to get to in the wake of the OG Ananobi trade. Think about this. The Knicks had a brutal, brutal schedule during the month of December. They played... Three games at home. They played a game at home against Toronto before the trade. uh, And then they played back-to-back games two days before Christmas and then on Christmas against the Milwaukee Bucks. So you go the entire month, you only get three games at home, and two of them are against the Bucks. Everything else was on the road. It was a five-game road trip, four of them to the West Coast in the middle of the month. Uh, The month started with the play-in tournament knockout round where you had to go to Milwaukee. And then after losing that game, your bonus consolation prize was going to Boston to play the best team in the NBA. And then the month ended with a very difficult three-game road trip against three of the up-and-coming teams, and you had to go all over the map. You had to go out to Oklahoma City, where you lost there. Then you had to go down to Orlando, where you lost there. And then you had to go out to Indianapolis, where the morning of that game, you learned that two of your top four scorers 
have been traded. So the Knicks bare bones for that December 30th game against the Pacers hung in there until the second half when the Pacers, as they are wont to do, ran them off the floor. So that's the kind of month that the Knicks had. But you know what? They weathered that storm from... From December 15th, when they played Phoenix on a Friday night, and that was the night that Jalen Brunson scored 50 points, his career-high 50 points, that started a 10-game stretch for the Knicks in which every single team that they played was 500 or better at the time of the game. Even the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, who won last night, yes, but have struggled since then. When the Knicks played the Nets on December 20th, the Nets were a 500 team coming in, Okay. They went 5-5 five and five during that stretch. So that, that's called weathering the storm. Now at a certain point, if you're going to go from a 47-win team, 46-47-48 win team, which is what the Knicks were last year, they were 47-35, and 35, if you're going to take that next step, um, then you are going to have to weather the storm against tough stretches like that and then really put your foot to the pedal, the gas pedal, against stretches against quote-unquote lesser competition. And that's what's ahead of the Knicks right now. And that's why this trade came at a very interesting time. This is one thing, one of many things I like about Leon Rose and how he has constructed this team is that unlike a lot of other team executives, Leon Rose does not wait until the trade deadline or the day before the trade deadline to make a big move. You know, he did that with the Derrick Rose trade three years ago, his first full season, and that Rose trade kind of turned the Knicks season around. You know, they were floundering around 500. They traded for Rose on Super Bowl Sunday, a full week before the NBA trade deadline, and what that does is it just maximizes, or I shouldn't say maximizes, but it increases the value of the asset that you're bringing into your team. You know, the Knicks pulled the trigger on the OG Ananobi trade on December 30th. That's a full month and a half before the NBA trade deadline. Now, last year, there was more traditional timing for the trade that helped turn their season around or bring it to a different level. That was the Josh Hart trade last year with Portland. That was on the eve of the NBA trade deadline. But you bring in Ananobi now, you've got six weeks with this guy to assimilate him into your lineup. He already seems like a perfect fit. And look, I haven't had the opportunity to discuss the trade. Interestingly, when last week I was along with Ty Butler hosting the Michael K show uh, for the entire week, we got into a lot of conversations. This is ahead of the trade when we had no idea that anything was on the horizon or imminent. We got into a lot of conversations about the fit of RJ Barrett on the Knicks in the Knicks starting lineup, Emmanuel quickly as well. But if you look at what the Knicks look like with this trade, the initial reaction is Ananobi is such a versatile defender. He can guard, and, and this is one of the kind of overused cliches that I don't particularly like. I don't like when people say you can guard all five positions. You, nobody can guard all five. Nobody can guard De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings and Joel Embiid. Nobody can do that, okay? But what a guy can do is you can guard two, three, and four, all of them especially well. And that's what OG Ananobi brings to this team. So that's the the top line of, of his resume in terms of what he has added to the team, the value that he has brought to this Knicks team. But I would say equally important is his fit on the offensive side of the ball. Because with Brunson and with Randall and with R.J. Barrett, 
there was just too much redundancy. You know, and put aside the fact that all three of them are left-handed. That's more of a coincidence than anything else. But what Barrett did, a lot of it was what Brunson does, but not as good. And a lot of what Barrett did was similar to what Randall does, but not as good. And that's dribble, 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 try to probe, try to get to the basket, try to burrow your way to the hole until you see the slightest opening, and then you take your opportunity to score. The Knicks already have two guys who do that, and they do it much more efficiently than R.J. Barrett did it. Is there a place in the league for R.J. Barrett? There absolutely is. The guy's an 18-point-per-game scorer his entire career. And I do think part of the um, part of the thing with R.J. Barrett from the fan base, from the Knicks themselves, and we've seen this in this town for years in every single sport. The player who is the homegrown draft pick, you want him to succeed. There's just something about the prestige of drafting a guy, having him spend his entire career in your team's uniform, a very successful career, leading you to wins in the playoffs, hopefully leading you to championships. And we've had some great examples of that in New York. I mean, Eli Manning did that with the Giants, and it wasn't always smooth sailing for him. Derek Jeter is an example of someone who did that for the Yankees, and as we know, it was pretty much always smooth sailing for Derek Jeter. And there's other examples of that across the sports um, throughout history and in recent history. But for Barrett, it got to the point where it just wasn't going to it wasn't going to be what we envisioned, okay? A productive NBA player, he, he still is. You know, he's an 18-point-per-game guy. He's not a highly efficient guy. He's got a good, strong body. He can play on the wing. He can guard multiple positions. He can rebound the basketball. But as far as what the Knicks needed to take this team to the next level, what OG Ananobi brings offensively, let's put defense aside because Ananobi's a better defender than most especially R.J. Barrett. But offensively, what Ananobi brings to this Knicks team, the fact that he doesn't need the ball in his hands, the fact that he's a better outside shooter, especially from the corners. The Knicks, as this is as good a three-point shooting team as we have seen the Knicks be in a long time, in a very, very long time. I mean, you've got guys, Brunson is shooting better from downtown than he ever has in his career. Dante DiVincenzo is a fantastic three-point shooter. Quinton Grimes, when he gets hot, and if he can get his confidence back, is a very good three-point shooter. But with Randall, who has cut down on his threes and gone more towards the basket this year, with Brunson, who, while, yes, a proficient three-point shooter, also is a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands in the paint, and with R.J. Barrett, who did most of his damage inside the paint, inside the three-point line, it just got too clogged, and Ananobi's not the kind of guy who's going to take the ball and try to dribble to the basket and try to create a shot for himself. That is not his game, and I think that's a great thing for the Knicks. His game is he likes to camp. He does two main things on offense, all right? He likes to camp out in the corner, and if there's a driver, whether it's Brunson, whether it's Randall, whether it's Josh Hart, the defense converges on him. There's Ananobi waiting for the kickout, and he can knock down the three-point shot, especially from the corner. He's one of the best in the NBA from that spot. And then the other thing is, instinctually, Ananobi, and you've seen this already in a small sample size for him, a Nick teammate has the ball, Ananobi 
cuts to the basket. They find him, and he's a great finisher inside. He's strong. He can rise up in traffic. He can finish inside. He can get to the rim and slam it down with two hands. And that's really all they need from him offensively. And that's what this team was missing. So while the headline for Ananobi is and should be what he brings to the Knicks in terms of defensive versatility, and we've seen that on display also, the last three defensive performances for the Knicks had been better than anything they put forth during the entire month of December. I think equally important to this Knicks team is what he brings to them offensively. Now, we haven't discussed Emmanuel quickly yet. And Quickly's absence from this team, especially the first two games with the new-look Knicks, left a pretty sizable hole in the bench production of this Knicks team, a hole that was filled in a big way last night with the likes of Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart continuing to do what he does. So as far as the Knicks go right now, still a work in progress. Are they in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference after this trade? Are they up there with Boston? No. Are they up there with Milwaukee? No. Are they up there with Philadelphia? I mean, after last night, it would be difficult to convince me that they're not. That was a statement win on the road against one of the best teams with arguably the best player in the NBA last night. And they did it in a multitude of ways. So we'll see if they can turn around and do it again tonight in Washington. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. Till 3 o'clock, we have a lot of basketball to discuss. We'll look ahead for the Knicks and see if this two, three-week stretch coming up is really the time where they can take their game to a higher level in the Eastern Conference. And we'll also talk about the weekend in football. Any expectations, any goals, if you're a Giants fan, if you're a Jets fan, is there anything you want to get out of this weekend, or is it just let's get this season over with and let's once again, as we've done so many times in recent years, look ahead to the NFL draft. It's Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. A lot to be... Impressed by, obviously. They had seven guys score in double figures. Brunson had 29 points. The Knicks bench, which was a concern coming in, a work in progress coming into the game. The Knicks bench outscored the 76ers reserves 49-15. to It was just a, a dominant performance. Joel Embiid got his. He had 30 points and 10 rebounds. Tyrese Maxey got his. He had 27 points and 9 assists. That was 57 of the 92 points for Philadelphia. The rest of the team did virtually nothing. And the Knicks just did a great job defensively. Joel Embiid is, you know, right now, would you say he's the toughest cover in the NBA? He probably is because he's so physically dominant that you would be lucky to stop him from scoring inside. One of the easiest ways to stop a physically dominant big man is by fouling him and sending him to the free throw line and he's an 89% foul shooter. So there's really no easy way to do it. So if you can quote-unquote limit him, you know, the old sports center, you can't stop him. You could only hope to contain him. If you can contain him, as the Knicks did last night, to 30 points and 10 rebounds and not allow him to wreck the game, then that's a win. And it was a win. It was a resounding win for the Knicks. But I think, really, if you look at what might be most impressive – when you show the balance and the depth of this Knicks team, 
is the fact that they have nine rotation players, seven of, seven of them scored in double figures, and amazingly, one of the two who did not score in double figures was Julius Randle, who just had an off night. And if you watch the game, look, Nick Nurse is a terrific coach. Won a championship with the Raptors. They were always in contention. His first year in Philadelphia, and a lot of people thought they were going to take a step back, especially after they traded James Harden. They're better now than they were last year. He's a big reason why. All right? They were focusing a lot on Julius Randle last night. Every time he had the ball, there were a couple of 76ers in the immediate vicinity of him. And he was 1 for 11 from the field. And you're going to have bad games like that. But the fact that the Knicks were able to win a game by 36 points, seven Knicks score in double figures on a night in which Randall had an off night is incredibly, incredibly impressive for this Knicks team. So now looking ahead, with OG Ananobi, you're 3-0. and And you play Washington tonight, which is one of the worst teams in the NBA. You are 2-0 and with Ananobi against winning teams. That was one of the knocks on the Knicks the first two months of the season. They would be hovering around two games above 500, three games. Occasionally, they would push their record to five games above 500. But go back and look at the Knicks schedule the first two months of the season. It was a pretty systematic formula. All right, They beat the teams they were quote-unquote supposed to beat. And against the top teams in the NBA, they had trouble beating them. You know, they're 0-3 against Boston. They're 1-3 against Milwaukee. They lost to the Clippers, who are rolling right now. All right, those are the types of teams that the Knicks have had trouble beating. Well, the calendar turns to January. You add Ananobi to the starting lineup, and you start with a win at home against the Timberwolves, the best team in the Western Conference. You beat the Bulls, where you didn't play particularly well, but got it together in the second half. And now you go on the road and beat the 76ers by 36 points, the third best team in the Eastern Conference. So now you're starting to, if you can continue to, and their first opportunity to do this will be tonight in Washington, if you can continue to beat up on the lesser teams in the NBA, of which there are not a lot of lesser teams, but the ones that are lesser are really, really lesser. The Pistons are terrible. The Wizards are terrible. So are the um, Spurs. So are the Hornets. And so is the team that's coming to Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night, the Portland Trailblazers. Terrible teams, all of them. And the Knicks have beaten the Horns three times. They beat the Pistons. They beat the Spurs. They beat the Wizards. So they're doing their job against these teams. If you look at their schedule in January, including the three games that have already been played, nine of the 16 January games are against teams with losing records. All right, so that means you're only playing seven above 500 teams. You've already played two of them, and you've already beaten two of them. And this is what takes you to a higher level. Okay, there's the level that the Knicks were at last year and the level that they were at the first two months of this season, which is take care of business against the bottom feeders in the league and get by, tread water. You know, against the top teams, like the Knicks in that recent 10-game stretch against teams with 500 records or better. They went 5-5, five and five, they treaded water, they kept their head above water, and then you move on and you beat the lesser teams. What brings you to the next level is what the Knicks did last night and what the Knicks did on New Year's Day against Minnesota, beating these top teams. And I think that's where the ceiling with this team is higher with the addition 
of OG Ananobi. Monica McNutt, who of course is our analyst on the Knicks games here on 98.7 ESPN New York. She was on the Michael K show yesterday and the guys asked her if the presence of OG Ananobi raises the Knicks ceiling. You look at the three companies in the East, there's just there's still a little bit of a gap in terms of playmaking ability, an additional playmaker, right? OG is great off the ball. He's tremendous, tremendous catch and shoot. But I'm not 100% sure about the skill set in terms of being able to operate in space and create for himself, right? And I think when you look at Bucks, Philly, Celtics, they have that. And frankly, like, yes, OG should help this team take a jump in terms of defense. But again, like, as Celtics in particular, if we call the Celtics the Golden Center, and I'll even go Philly, those, they have guys, they have more than just two stout defenders on the floor at a time, in my mind. If you're just talking about for us, you got OG and Dante. Their ability to enforce their will on both sides of the floor, to me, I think that's where the Knicks still have to get a little bit better. Well, that was, of course, her conversation on the Michael K show before they went out and I would say closed the gap on Philadelphia with their resounding 36-point win. So the Knicks are, it's a tightly packed Eastern Conference standings right now. They're 20 and 15. And they have some winnable games coming up. You looked at this three-game stretch yesterday, tonight, and then Tuesday against Portland. They got a home game before they go out for a couple of difficult games on the road. I think you would have been happy with 2-1 and one during this three-game stretch. What, you just went out and you easily won by far the most difficult of those three games. So now you turn around, you have Washington tonight. Both teams are playing on a back-to-back, so the rest is even in that regard. Both teams were on the road also yesterday. And then you come home and you take on a Portland Trailblazers team on Tuesday. A one-game homestand. Portland is 9-25. and They've lost their last three games. They're a young team. They're not particularly well coached. And the Knicks really do have an opportunity to move themselves away from the glut of teams in the middle of the standings. And I'm talking about Indiana at 20-14. and 14. Miami, Orlando, Cleveland and the Knicks they are all 20 and 15 they are in a four-way tie for fifth place the Knicks these next couple of weeks have an opportunity to try to separate themselves from that group and move towards the top of the conference and when I say the top of the conference there's a clear pecking order among the top three okay you shouldn't group them all as if they're on the same line Boston is the best team Boston hasn't lost the game at home yet this year they're 17 and 0 at home they're the top team a step back to Milwaukee and then a step back to Philadelphia and it had been before the trade before last night's game it had been a foregone conclusion that all those other teams are kind of fighting to see who can get the fourth spot you know who can host and have home court advantage for a first round playoff series you know the Pacers the Heat the Knicks the Magic the Cavs well After what we have seen the Knicks look like with Ananobi, and after we saw what they looked like last night in Philadelphia, I think the the goals should be higher. You tell me that the Knicks don't belong in the same, and I'm not trying to make too much out of one game, but Philadelphia is a team that has a superstar and an ascending star, and not a lot of depth after that. The Knicks also have two All-Stars. By this year's All-Star game, the Knicks will be able to say they have two All-Stars on their roster when Jalen Brunson is named to the All-Star game for the first time. And whether or not Randall gets in this year, he's a two-time All-Star, and he's playing like one once again. So the Knicks are not devoid of star talent at the top of the roster, and they have more depth than a team like Philadelphia. And the, the fit 
of OG Ananobi. You know, you hear the term in football, you used to hear the term all the time. Uh, he's a Parcells guy. Parcells guy, you know, meant he, he knew how to play the system. Parcells could trust him. Bill Parcells was one of the greatest football coaches. He's one of the greatest coaches in history. All right. Tom Thibodeau's not on his level just in terms of what he's accomplished as a head coach, but he's clearly done a terrific job setting the tone and the culture here in New York as the Knicks head coach. And you hear phrases like, oh, he's a Tibbs guy. You know, Randall is a Tibbs guy. Brunson's a Tibbs guy. And it doesn't have to be limited to stars because Josh Hart came in last year and he was an immediate fit as a Tibbs guy. He came in, the Knicks won eight games in a row when Hart joined the team, and they went 17-8 and with him in the lineup down the stretch, the final 25 games, and pushed their way to the number five seed in the Eastern Conference. This is kind of like the Josh Hart trade, but on steroids, because Ananobi's a better player. He's bigger, he's a better defender, and he's a better offensive player. But he does a lot of the same things that Josh Hart did to help bring the Knicks to the 4-5 matchup in the playoffs last year. A win, a five-game win in that first-round series. Now you have two of those guys, and the one you just brought in is actually more talented and bigger and is better sized than the other one. So it's a really, really, really good fit, and I think we're just scratching the surface on what this Knicks team can look like. Tom Thibodeau has always done better with his types of players in his rotation. Year one, they were treading water. He brought in one of the ultimate Tibbs guys, Derrick Rose. Trusted him, helped turn the season around. Year two, when they didn't make the playoffs, they made some miscalculations in free agency. They brought in offensive-minded guys like Kemba Walker and like Evan Fournier, and they overpaid for guys like Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel, and they took a pretty big step back, and they missed the playoffs. Last year, they self-corrected. They shored up their rotation. They brought in Josh Hart. We saw what happened. They went back to the playoffs and won a playoff series for the first time in a decade. And this right now, as currently constructed, this group of New York Knicks is the best collective Knicks team that we have seen take the floor night in and night out since the Carmelo Anthony-led 54-win team from 2012-2013. So you can start to expand in your mind what the possibilities could be for this Knicks team. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Everybody's focusing on the Pistons and that 28-game losing streak that they had, that NBA record 28-game losing streak. The Wizards are like a smidge better than the Detroit Pistons. In terms of point differential, they're just as bad. They've just eked out three more games, but they're 6-28. and 28. Um, Pistons are 3-32, and 32, which is just hard to fathom even when you say those numbers out loud. But that's where the Knicks are tonight. They're in Washington to take on the Wizards. 7 o'clock start, and uh, we'll have that pregame coverage uh, starting here at 6.30 on ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. Let's open up the phone lines and say hello to Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon, Pat. Shout out to the company. Definitely wanted to chime in on... You know, the Nick win, I was, um, if, if you heard me earlier, I was impressed with the ball movement, how they look. Um, still very early to, you know, pronounce and give a final grade on who won or if it's a win-win or whatever the case may be. But um, my concern is more of, you know, 
it wasn't that, you know, I was attached to R.J. Barrett or Emmanuel Quickly or any of the, you know, draft picks or any of that stuff. It was more of why would Masai Ujiri all of a sudden with all the chaos that was going on with being in court, all of a sudden try to turn around and say, hey, you know what, let me take what people think what, you know, Nick fans now believe was a toxic asset contract and R.J. Barrett, and let me get, you know, that starting point guard that I needed since I've lost Van Vliet. And, you know, we, we, we got ourselves a deal. And, you know, when you're talking about Masai Ujiri, you're talking about one of the best GMs in the league. And, you know, when you're when, when, when one of the best GMs in the league is, you know, calling you for a trade, I kind of, you know, have a hold my wallet type of, you know, feeling in that type of situation. So that's kind of why. And also, like, so, like be beyond the bubble of analysts, you know, a lot of NBA fans of other teams, you know, around the league feel like, you know, you, that Toronto kind of got a hole for OG Ananobi at first. But it's looking like it, but from the Knicks perspective, it does look like it was a better move for, for us. So we'll see how it still continues to play out. But I do agree with Joe there has to be enough there there do has to be like at least another move because i i don't know if this will just be just be enough so we'll see jose thanks for the call will there be another move look there's going to be another move i don't know 100 percent that there's going to be another move this season there's not an obvious move out there right now all right are the knicks championship contenders now no um, are are they likely to be championship contenders between now and the end of the season? Probably not. I think that's still a pretty significant leap from where they are right now, but they're closer now than they were before this trade. It's got the potential the trade does to be a win-win. From the Knicks' perspective, outlined why it makes sense for them. And look, three games for each team. The Knicks are 3-0. and The Raptors are 2-1. and They lost their first game with Barrett and Quickly last night in Sacramento. Both teams are playing better since the trade. You can't analyze a trade who won, who lost after three games. Just look at it from the Knicks' perspective. Are the Knicks better as a team than they were before they made the trade? And the answer is yes, because Ananobi has improved them on both sides of the floor. He's improved them defensively. That's a no-brainer. He's also improved them offensively. And you may look at it like, wow, he scored 17 in his first game. He scored 11 and then 11. He doesn't score as much as R.J. Barrett. True. He doesn't shoot as much as R.J. Barrett. He doesn't suck up as much oxygen as R.J. Barrett. He's a better fit offensively for what the Knicks need right now. If you want to rank the four players in the trade, the Knicks got the best player. The Raptors got the next two best players. And then the Knicks got the next two best players. And then the Raptors got a draft pick, which could be somewhat valuable. It's probably going to be the 31st, maybe the 32nd pick of the draft next year via the Detroit Pistons. Um... As far as just what it does for the Knicks, it makes them better. And the Masai Ujiri thing, look, he's had a very, very successful career. You know, um, he has gotten the upper hand on the Knicks in two pretty significant trades over the last 15 years. First one was the Carmelo Anthony trade when Ujiri was in Denver. That was a case where the Knicks needed to have Carmelo Anthony and probably did not let the process play out as much as they should have. And they ended up throwing in a couple of extra assets. There was probably, and it was also as much 
to do with Carmelo Anthony. It was his fault also. He wanted to come to the Knicks, but he wanted to come to the Knicks at a specific time because the way that the collective bargaining agreement was structured at the time, Melo wanted to come to New York, sign his contract extension before the rules changed that offseason when he could have just played out the year and then signed with the Knicks as a free agent that offseason. Instead, he forced his way to New York. The Knicks were in a place where they felt he was going to get them to the next level, which he did, by the way. But in the process, the Knicks had to give up a lot of assets. You would have loved to have seen what the Knicks looked like with Carmelo Anthony playing you know, alongside the Wilson Chandlers and the Raymond Feltons and the Timothy Mozgovs and the most notably Danilo Gallinari's who they had to give up in that trade. And then the other one where Ujiri got the better of the Knicks was the Andrea Bargnani trade where he got a first-round draft pick from uh, the Knicks and Toronto sent Bargnani to New York. But that was a different administration. You know, none of the people who made that move are here now. And yeah, he's done a nice job. He won a championship. He'll always be remembered for that, winning a championship in the NBA in Toronto. Think about how difficult that is. But this is a team that the last few years has been going backwards. And Ananobi's production this year has been going backwards. And a big reason for that is the coaching change. You know, Nick Nurse is a great coach, a great coach. He's doing great things in Philadelphia. He and the Raptors organization decided to go their separate ways at the end of last season. This new coach comes in. He's not particularly strong. So, therefore, the production of not only the entire team, but in specific, OG Ananobi has gone down. Therefore, Ananobi's market was not what it had been in the past. And Ujiri didn't call the Knicks. The Knicks have been trying to get OG Ananobi for at least a year, since at least last year. And the price was higher last year. And the price came down this season, and the Knicks were able to get him. They were able to get him in exchange for a guy in their starting lineup with whom Ananobi is a better fit, and they were able to do so without giving up any of their first-round draft picks. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Talking Knicks, and uh, did this trade bring them to a higher level? I think I think the clear answer initially is yes. The, the bigger long-term question that needs to be answered is how much of a higher level? Are they actual contenders in the Eastern Conference? I think they're still a ways away from that. They're certainly closer to the top three teams, especially the third team, who they just wiped the floor with last night on that team's home floor down in Philadelphia. So let's get your thoughts at 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Brian in Manhattan. Hey, Brian. Hey, Pat. How are you? I, I, I think it's obvious just from the handful of games that Ananobi's a better fit. I think Quigley was not going to be re-signed at the money that he wanted. And unfortunately, he wasn't a good foil for Brunson. And Barrett, for whatever reason, just was not a good fit. He didn't play good enough defense. I think both of them, I, I, I like Barrett. I think Barrett will do fine elsewhere on a different team with different teammates. But I, but the Ananobi, I'm old enough to remember when Dave DeBuscher was traded to the Knicks. I don't think Ananobi is the championship piece by any means. But I think he's a guy like DeBuscher that does a lot of the things that don't hit the score, the scorecard. And I, you know, I, really, I really like Ananobi as a fit. And it opens up time and minutes for McBride and for Grimes. And if last night's any indication, that's a good thing. Well, certainly based on last night, Brian, and thanks for the call, it's a great opportunity for McBride. I do think that, and look, is he going to go four for four from three? 
in a quarter like he did last night? Probably not. He was terrific last night. I'm happy for him that he gets his opportunity. He's got to take advantage of the opportunity right now. He signed the contract extension. They gave him about $4 million a year, which is a great job by him because he was a second-round draft pick, which means it's unclear whether or not you're even going to make the roster and he's a very, very hard worker. He's worked his way to this opportunity. And now it's there. All you can ask for a lot of times in life is an opportunity, no matter what you're doing. And McBride has his now. And you hope for him he's going to take advantage of it. Grimes is different. You know, the Knicks need Grimes now. And he was great last night in the fourth quarter. He scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. Grimes has to become there quickly. And he's not going to be quickly. You know, Quickly was such a unique player just with his his ball handling, his confidence, his swagger, his herky-jerky way of getting to the basket, drawing fouls, hitting floaters. He has a very, very unique game. But Quickly was not going to reach his full potential in New York because Quickly and Brunson have too many redundancies. Quickly, the reason why they were not able to get to an agreement and which is why Quickly will be a restricted free agent at the end of this season, because Quickly wanted to get paid like a starter. The Knicks didn't want to pay Quickly as a starter because as long as he was on this team, he wasn't going to be a starter. He's blocked by Jalen Brunson, who is turning out to be one of the best point guards in the NBA. He's not going anywhere. And by the way, he's got one more year after this before he can opt out of his contract. So the Knicks are going to certainly have to pay him because right now Brunson's making $26 million a year, which think back to last offseason when the Knicks signed him as the free agent after he had been basically the sixth man for most of his tenure in Dallas. And there were some people that said that, Boy, the Knicks really overpaid for Jalen Brunson, giving him $26 million a year. Think about that. That guy's got one of the best contracts in the NBA right now. A side note, you know who else has one of the best contracts in the NBA? Julius Randle, who people also said when he signed his contract extension after his first All-NBA season that the Knicks had overpaid for Randle. So both of those guys are on great contracts now. But that also means that when those contracts expire, they're going to want to get paid. You can't pay everyone. And Quickly was never going to be a starter. Now, can Quickly go somewhere else, Toronto in this case, and turn into Tyrese Maxey? You know, Maxey and Quickly were teammates at Kentucky. They came out the same year. Maxey was the 21st overall pick. Quickly was the 25th overall pick. Maxey has blossomed into a bonafide star. I don't know if Quickly's ceiling is that, but I do think that Quickly could be 75% of what Maxey is. And Maxey's a 27-point-per-game scorer. Can Quickly be a 19-point Seven assist point guard for a Toronto Raptors team? Sure, I do think that's in there. But it was never going to happen with the Knicks because of Jalen Brunson. So the fact is that the Knicks, while giving it's hard to give up assets, but you have to give to get. The Knicks got a guy who right now seems to be a terrific fit both offensively and defensively in their starting lineup. A guy who, as recently as last season depending on what reports you read or read, was they were offering three first-round picks for OG Ananobi teams were, and the Raptors were turning that down, okay? So he's a guy who was valued incredibly high by his previous organization. To bring a guy like that in, you have to give something up. And the quickly thing is the more difficult thing here because Ananobi replaces R.J. Barrett. So that's like a one-for-one, and that's an upgrade. 
The quickly thing is the piece that you need to figure out, but you've got to give to get.